This is Up for Debate, episode number 263, recorded October 5th, 2023. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Up for Debate, the debate podcast where the two hosts agree on everything. I'm Sean Jennings, joined by a man who could easily run a giant tech company into the ground. It is Matt Mariani. Hello, Matt. Hello there, Mr. Sean. Yes, it is I. I can I can easily easily destroy a tech company, um, especially one that's Canadian. Yes, yes. Well, you know when uh, their currency is maple leaves and uh, I I don't know what else. You know, it's, you can't have a business. Justin Bieber tokens. It's got Justin Bieber on the front. Uh, and it's got Nickelback album artwork on the bat on the back. Oh no! And I oh, know I bet yeah. I bet BlackBerry wishes they had their Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Yeah, they they probably. Do. <sighs> I don't know. Um, seemed like uh, in the end they uh, when they after the whole thing was all said and done they. Uh, they oh no that's Daughtry never mind I was gonna sing the song the, the oh the lyrics to uh that's uh what's that song called the Daughtry song uh over you I thought it was Nickelback for a minute but it's it's Daughtry they sound almost identical so um yeah but this is how you remind me Matt uh no so if you're if you're wondering what we're uh rambling on about here at the top of the show. Uh, Matt, we are back. Uh, it's our final on our final to-do list for the summer now that it's October. Uh, and many of you may remember way back at the beginning of the summer, we did our summer book club in which we picked some books we wanted to read uh, over the course of the summer. And we are here tonight to talk about them. Um, some of the things we learned, uh, things we liked and didn't like, um, and some interesting stories all around Matt. How do you feel we did this summer? Overall, in our selections, I don't know. I think we could have done better. <laughs> I think we could have done better. Really? Oh, I, I liked. I liked. Um, I liked the book that I read. The uh, lost the the signal. I thought it was decent. I felt like the books that we that between this and the the blockbuster, I felt like they were kind of the same. Or not the same, but like in a similar vein or a similar mindset. And I think in the past. We were always good about making uh, uh, our our picks very far apart, like far reachingly apart. Now I'm, I, well, I'm starting to get worried, Matt. Because did you did you read in the heart of the sea? Yes. No. Yes, I did read in the heart. Of okay. The sea. Okay. I'm just <laughs> had you worried for a minute. I well, I did because I'm like. I losing the signal technically wasn't a pick. I'm glad you read it. It's an interesting book. Um, no, I, I agree. I think between those two, it's a lot of similar themes. Did we not pick losing the signal? No, it was, it, you had picked built to fail and I had picked in the heart of the sea. Oh, all right. I read all three of them. So we're basically, yeah, and we're going to talk about all three of them. Okay. So you're in good shape. Um, yeah, no. So in the heart of the sea, I felt like, it, it was still, it was still kind of like, I don't know. It, it was, it was like too, too real, too true. Um, we, you know, we were used to like, 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 uh, 
whimsy and 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 fantastical realism here on Up for Debate. We read books like uh, the uh, the the Haruki Murakami uh, Clockwork Bird Chron- Chronicles. Like we, read, yeah, like, but we, like yeah, that. we read the book about uh, uh, Elizabeth Holmes and her uh, blood tech startup. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. We, I don't know. I think what I'm saying here, Sean, is I think we need to read more. Uh, we need to read more um, beach mystery reads. That was my theme for the summer. I read several beach mystery reads. Like, what I mean by beach mystery is like you read it while you're at the beach and you can finish it in like one sitting. We we didn't read any of those this year. The, the, this this would go around. Listen, Matt, I have a stack of Dean Kuntz books just waiting to be read. So exactly. I am. I, we could probably write one of those. Oh, well, I don't know. Our creatively, we're we're definitely challenged. Uh, no, I promise, Matt, next summer, no business history books. I think we've been burned a little bit. Uh, but let's let's dig it. Matt, is there one of these you want to start with? Um, We could start with In the Heart of the Sea, since that was... Uh, that was the one the one that I subjected you to. Uh, well, I gotta tell you, Matt, I, I think you and I are gonna have some different opinions tonight, which is a which is a treat. So uh, in the heart of the sea, Nathaniel Philbrick, uh, the true story of the Essex whaling ship um, that was sunk by an angry whale, um, leaving the crew to drift for more than 90 days in the Pacific, uh, the basis for the novel Moby Dick. Uh, now Matt, remind me, you had not read this prior to the summer. Is that correct? Right. Um, it had been kind of been on my, um, my, my radar for a while though. So I, I had, I thought this was a good opportunity to finally, finally read it. Well, I, uh, I actually read it, Matt. We, we hung out, uh, a little bit this past week in New York city. I read it on the train there and back. Uh, for me, it was a pretty quick read and, I gotta tell you, Matt, I liked this book a lot. Uh, it, it really fell into a great sweet spot of what I like in a book, which is it's. I thought it was generally well told. I thought this might be one of the best examples of a book that transitions well between an overarching story and small tangents, where you'd be reading about, you know, oh, they were on the the whaling boats and it was the day and it was the end of their food. And they would transition very seamlessly into this talk about what is starvation and, and what does it mean to the body? And there was a lot of interesting things, but this was a topic. uh, You're a student of history, uh, obviously, and history is painted with a very broad brush. And I like books that get into little minutia bits of history. And like, I knew nothing about whaling. I really didn't. I, I didn't know that the ships went all the way to the Pacific. Like that was total news to me. I knew nothing about this. And so it was really interesting to learn about some of the history of whaling mixed in with the story. Um, and it was a, uh, it was a gripping read. So I, I enjoyed it, Matt. What, what, what were, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I think you, you, uh, if you know me, one of the things that I really enjoy, uh, the most is fifteenth uh, to seventeenth century uh, to reads about like the the ocean 
about like an expedition on the ocean as ill, especially ill-fated ones. <laughs> so this one um, was definitely right up uh, in in my in my wheelhouse. I thought that it was it was really good. I, I I'm kind of just shocked that you enjoyed it, Sean. I, I didn't think this would be. <laughs> I'm shocked too. In your interests at all. I thought it was uh, yeah the um, the stories the 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 I I didn't first of all when I when I first picked it up I was like how are they going to do an entire book about this what that's not too similar to Moby Dick now I've never completely read Moby Dick um, I've gotten pretty far usually I like I'll try to pick it up every so often I'll plug away at it but. Um, I, I, I can't really say I've made it too far in a Moby Dick, but I, w- I wasn't sure how you could write the story about the story, you know, and, and uh, I thought this was even more compelling uh, because it was it did such a great job uh, depicting that world in which uh, Moby Dick is set. That, that kind of environment, that kind of the, the, the characters that you could see their, their inspiration. Um, you could see the the uh inspiration for the the voyage um especially the parts toward the like uh i guess the second act when they're out they're actually out at sea it does get uh it does get very very tense in some parts um and so yeah i i overall i I enjoyed it very much yeah absolutely i i think it, it, this is a good example of using a specific story to tell a broader story. Cause that's one of the problem I do have with history is when it gets really broad, I tune out like there's just a lot of it. And so I like when, when specific stories, I think um, devil in the white city, a book we read uh, on this uh, show is another good example of that. Telling specific stories of specific people in the context of a time or of a, of an era um, in a way that was very compelling. He's actually the same guy's written a number of other books. Um, he's written one on the Mayflower, um, which is something I really don't know any of the details about. So I've already added that to my uh, wish list as one to, uh, to read. Yeah. His, uh, I, I, I do really like his style. Uh, Nathaniel Philbrick. I like his, um, just the, the, the character, his characters are, are a lot more lively than I was expecting going in. I wasn't really sure what the narrative style was going to be, if this was going to be told th- through like journal entries or if it was just going to be um, kind of told through like a more uh, historical lens. It's very it, it comes very much comes alive where he, he like his characters are really characters uh, he talks about there's a lot there's a lot of dialogue um, like they're uh, they're kind of living the adventure um, in real time, which I really liked. So um, he talks about like the different parts of New England and uh, the people that come from there and, and like what they're like and how their upbringings influence them. It was it was cool. It was a good, it was a, a really good read, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I, there were a couple wild moments, Matt. I, I did want to mention, though, I think the most wild thing to me in the book was uh, at the end, after the survivors had made it all the way back to Nantucket, a number of them went back on the boats. They went back out. They kept sailing, which is crazy. I was going to ask you, Matt, 
do you think you could survive on a uh, on a whaling ship of this era? Yes, I would do so with gusto. <laughs> <laughs> Getting this, harpooning the whale and cutting so. off its blubber. Um, I I would certainly like to try. I like to. I, I would like to to think that I could I could pick it at at a at a job at sea. That's my backup career. I don't know if you knew that, Sean. My backup career. I was gonna. I'm gonna move. To Whaler. Lobsterman. <laughs> lobsterman. I would. I know. No. The world isn't ready for me to be a whaler, but maybe. But that would be so funny. Is you just show up in Nantucket in like an old timey sea outfit and with a harpoon and say, "I'm here. I'm here to whale." I'm gonna show. Point me to the ships. Actually, in the interview, I'll, I'll get there before the guy interviewing me gets there, and I'll just be turning, facing like a window. And then, like, so when he comes in, I'll just like do the the thing from Jaws where he like scratches the the wind that he runs his nails down the window, makes like that loud sound. Turn around, I'll I'll catch ye a whale. Ooh, salty Captain oh, Matt. I'll catch. Ye I love whale. it, Sunny Jim. I love it. No, I am a a massive wimp and loser. I could I could never make it. I mean, it's high risk, Matt. The thing is, you're out for three to four years. So if like a week into it, you're like, this sucks. You're kind of screwed. <laughs> kind of committed. Yeah. But you get to see all sorts of cool things like the Azores. You get to see Cape Verde Islands. You get to see like where all the other little Atlantic islands that they went out. You get to, to eat hardtack. Yep. And Have you ever eaten a hardtack? I actually have. I have. Where, where did you find hardtack? I, uh, you know, found it. Um, no, I uh, I ate some at uh, Mount Vernon, home of oh. Washington. I believe the gift shop's they, that bad, huh? They yeah they they, <laughs> they served hardtack. No, it was. Um, I don't know. It was like one of the exhibits there. One of the like little people, the people outside. I'm pretty sure. They make hard tack, or no? Is it maybe it was Williamsburg? Excuse me, maybe it was Williamsburg in Virginia. Um, at least I, I hope it was somebody who worked there. I believe it was. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, I, I was in for a real, uh, a real treat. It's had a vagrant poison me with what I thought was hard tack. Uh, well, it's you know it's hard real, it's real bad yeah well hard tack is still apparently very popular in alaska it's real dry not something i don't th- i think i would ever you know be super stoked to, to be eating well, maybe that'll be thing. maybe that'll be our next baking challenge is, is we'll make our own we hard tack remember when we made um macrones I do. I listen. I would love to cook again. Yeah, yeah. And also, hardtack is very easy to make. It's just flour and water. I think we haven't done a baking challenge since we've both moved into our respective homes. I'm pretty sure. That's true. Macrones. I was still in an apartment. Well, now it's a little higher risk, Matt, because if you start a fire at your own house, you're burning down. Yeah. So yeah, that's true. Up the ante a little bit. Higher, it, it raises the stakes. So, so in the well, RNC, uh, what else is there to say about? Well, we gotta. RNC? 
Do you, do you remember how we rated these things? It, buy it, borrow it, or skip it. How about that, Matt? In the heart of the sea, buy it, borrow it, or skip it. Buy it, borrow it, or skip it. I would say, heart of the sea, I would say borrow it. I'm going to borrow it. That's that's how I would I would probably gauge it. This is a book that I think uh, it it tells it 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 spins a a um pretty interesting story uh, about the the story that inspired Moby Dick. I think it's cool because it's in in today's in today's day and age, people are we could both probably agree people are kind of bereft of uh of of ideas, right? Mm. <laughs> I mean, unless they have a moderately successful podcast program like ours right we uh we can come up with some ideas we're we're although although bereft of ideas would be a more accurate title for the show wide wow all right rebrand <laughs> right let's launch the rebrand bereft of ideas sean and matt bereft of ideas i could see it bereft now. of ideas so um yeah in this kind of in this kind of world this is this story would be um, would be like they they would make this they would make this a movie which they did they did make this a movie and it would be terrible because it would just be like kind of an, an, an inspiration uh, or lack thereof for like original ideas. I think that this was a good this was a good book. I think it, as uh, as far as original stories go, uh, as far as origin stories go. This was a good one, so I, re I recommend you pick it up. I would agree. Uh, all right, Matt, let's move on to the next one here. Why don't we do uh, Losing the Signal, colon, the untold story behind the extraordinary rise and spectacular fall of Blackberry um, by Jackie McNish and Sean Silkoff. Yeah, what, what, what's, where do you want to start on this one? Um... First of all, I want to. I, I have not gotten to see the documentary yet, and I am uh, worse off for it. So I think I will try to fix that as soon as I can. I would like to see. Was the documentary any good? Uh, off, off uh, camera, but uh, the movie. It's a movie, not a documentary. And yes, actually, I enjoyed it a lot. I I would recommend it. So it's a movie. So it's not even a. It's not even like a like a doc style, like um, what we watched for the blood lady. No, it's um, it's actors. It stars. Uh, what's his name? Who's that? Who's the guy whose name I can't think of? Oh, Jay Baruchel. Hmm. Uh, and then Glenn Howerton from it's always sunny plays. Um, uh, what's the guys? The fucking the Jim. Uh, what's his name? No, the business guy. He plays Jim Basali. He plays the business guy. And he, I, one thing I love about Glenn Howerton is that man can yell better than any actor on the planet. And he yells through the whole movie and it's fantastic. I can see that. Actually, that that, that is perfect. That's a perfect. Uh, he does the bald cap. It's very wild. Nice. Um, so I, I would recommend called? it. It's called Blackberry. The movie's called Blackberry. Okay. Um, yes. Oh, I could totally see this. This is actually. Not far off from how I pictured these two. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's the nerdy guy and the business guy. I mean, not a story we've certainly seen before in the tech sector. Yeah. Um, 
I th- that's probably the the part of the story that I vibed with the most was the uh, the the dynamic between those two. Um, the the uh, so called creative was it Mike Mike Lazaridis? He's the CEO. Yes. And um, who is the the uh, the engineer? Uh, it's um. Well, well, Mike Mike was the tech guy, and Jim was the CEO business guy. Oh right, right. Jim Jim Ball Balsilli. Yeah, the president. Yeah, I forgot their names now. Okay, so um, I liked that they like how uh how 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 they complemented each other how it was like very much a um kind of like a successful marriage for a bit and then things went uh really bad for them and uh they they you could tell i think you could even tell in the beginning how things were going to going to shake out you could see the cracks all the way in the foundation i think uh the intro was was pretty pretty neat the intro to the book was uh you know he he's on a flight to saudi arabia i think to pitch the product and like he's not getting any signal and there's a big outage and it's all from this this little um this like glitch that happens in in slough england where they uh that's where they have all their terminals and the terminals aren't starting there's like a big tech problem with the terminals and this like little problem turns into a major problem and, and they never really quite recover from that um, because they're getting they're about to get eaten up by Apple. Um, yeah, but overall, I mean, it's it's your it's your traditional business history story of the these these are two um, very little known Canadian guys that are destined for for great things. And uh, things kind of break right for them. And they found this company. They call it BlackBerry. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Very well written book. Very entertaining. Um, a, a very interesting story. I think for me, and we'll talk about this with Built to Fail coming up in a minute, but I think the, the biggest takeaway for me, and I don't know that the book fully landed this point, but it got pretty close, is that, you know, it's easy to say... BlackBerry is went out of business because of iPhone. But that's not really true. They were already having issues prior to the iPhone. I mean, this was a company that really sort of grew at all costs, skirted the edge, broke every rule they could, and that works for a while. But it was really a, a series of poor management decisions that really led them to failure. Um, it, it's always interesting to me that, that the narrative that comes out of these business failures and you can point to a lot of them is, oh, it was it was technology, it was um, evolution of, of culture, or technology or changing tastes or whatever you want to call it that put them out of business. Um, it was it was you could look at Toys R Us. Oh, it's people started buying online. And it's like, no, it's because private equity bought them and sell them with so much debt they could never be profitable. There's always a story behind the easy story. And I appreciated that about this one. Where, yeah, I mean, the iPhone obviously had an impact on what they were doing, but it was the few years before the iPhone where they made a series of bad decisions 
that meant there was no way they'd catch up when the iPhone did come out. Uh, and so it was, um, that was one of the things about these two guys that was interesting. If you look at Apple's kind of the obvious parallel with Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs was the cunning one and Wozniak was not. I really felt like both of the BlackBerry guys were cunning guys. That's what was interesting to me is they were both pretty ambitious, hardgoing guys. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that it fell apart as quickly as it as it grew. So there was definitely some good takeaways from from this one. Yeah, uh, my favorite part of the book. I'm just I'm, I'm, as uh, you were sharing. I was trying to get to my notes that I took for uh, for this book. Uh, I really liked the um, something as as that we take completely for granted as consumers of products um, is the, the detail, I guess the care that the, the engineers put in these things and, and the things that it's interesting to me, always the things that the engineers like are not always the things that are going to be selling points for the consumer. So one of the major rifts with this product um had to do with the buttons versus a touchscreen. And I thought it was, it was like, and I underlined the part where like I highlighted the part where um, they talk about, um, they talk about Lazaridis's, uh the way he describes like the buttons and like the feeling of like pushing the buttons. And he said like, basically that's what people who like, he, he put a lot of stock into people preferring hard buttons over preferring the touchscreen. And the reality of it was that it didn't really seem to matter to, to the majority of consumers. The overwhelming majority didn't care what they were getting. In, in fact, they even kind of learned, I guess they, they learned to adapt to a touchscreen a lot faster than Lazaridis had thought. He thought that it, it made it really seem to me kind of made it seem like he thought the touchscreen was going to be like a fad. He thought that the like touch keys were going to be a fad that would, would be like forgotten about. People would want their buttons back. And so he really tried to make that a feature that the BlackBerry would be the one that would keep these buttons when you had, you know, Samsung and, and Apple we're taking your buttons away from you. And he really doubled down on it, 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 even to the point where the latest model that uh, used the feature had like these very, um, uh, the way that they were laid out, the laid out, the layout of the buttons was very intentional and ergonomically designed. And uh, while being practical, he put a lot of thought and effort into into that that design. And ultimately, I think that the decision that they ended up going with um, was Balzilli basically said, like, we'll sell the button model, but we'll also sell it. We're going to we're going to also make a touchscreen model. And that ended up costing the company a lot more money uh, to produce both. And it was in, in the end, they, they fa- kind of failed to adapt um, to what they saw. But. I still give them credit for digging in their heels, and uh, even though it did, the decision did turn out to be a costly one. You know, they they doubled down on on the, the company that has buttons over a touch screen. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's it's kind of an interesting 
arc, because at the beginning of the BlackBerry story, they made a lot of assumptions about what customers would and would not want. They said customers only want email. We're going to make an email only device. They want a device with they don't need a color screen or fancy features or a stylus. They want long battery life and their email. And they were right at the time. The problem is you laid out that there was another great example where when the iPhone came out, they said the iPhone is a data suck on these uh, on, on cell networks. It's going to be slow. It's not going to work. We like our BlackBerry because it uses very little data. It's always been that way. We're smarter than everyone else. We know the iPhone's going to fail on these networks. And by the way, it did fail on AT&T's network when it first launched. It grounded it to a halt. What they didn't anticipate was customer demand for the product would be so popular that AT&T had to upgrade to 3G um, in the next model of the iPhone and would have to upgrade their towers and their systems. And all of a sudden, nobody talked about how data was a problem. So it, it, you can't get stuck in these ruts where I knew what customers wanted 10 years ago. I still know what they want today. You got to listen to the customers and they're going to tell you what they want. And you got to get a solution around that, not the other way around. And companies that get very big like that can sometimes lose that that sight. And it's true of Blockbuster too, by the way, which, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Yeah, they... Um... They they did they did do like market testing and things like that uh, here and there, but it, but it seemed like at most of the turns they they only took that as surface kind of like lip service, I guess. They they didn't really adhere to what the what the consumers actually were saying. I'm really pissed. I took the I took the, such such good notes and I, I highlighted them. I can't find them. Damn good ones. Oh. I thought it would be easier to find. My notes on here. I have the book pulled up, but I can't find the notes. What I had highlighted. Um, oh well. Yeah. Um, so it. Um, I, I. The whole time I was kind of waiting to see how the other shoe was going to fall off. Like what was going to be the the thing that that caused ultimately caused this company to fold. And uh, I. I thought. Oh yeah, surely it's going to be the release of the iPhone. It's going to kind of out outpace, outmod like technologically, but not. It wasn't really the case. Like it, it seemed like the BlackBerry was very much wor- like it could have hang on, hung on. It didn't seem as inevitable a defeat as as I had previously thought going in. I thought it, it could have kind of stayed in the game as like a pretty competent third party. Um. What what do you think? What would you say ultimately did them in in the end? What was the the kind of the the final they're, straw they're, will, for them? Their hardware and software got worse and worse, not better. I mean, Android came around not long after and was very successful. So there there was a market for a secondary device. It's just when they made a touchscreen device, it was bad and customers hate it, and it was one of the most returned devices in the history of cell phones. When they had an opportunity to upgrade their software. Um, into a brand new platform. They wanted to hold on to the old one because it's what has always worked. So they just weren't willing to innovate properly. You know, there's a difference between innovating and innovating correctly. <laughs> you can innovate badly. And the, the decisions they were making, it was just bad decision making. And it happens to a lot of companies, but it's not. And that's one knock on the movie version, I will say. It's a great movie, but they do lean a little heavy into the iPhone as the killer. 
that I don't think really, I, and I get it for a movie. You got to simplify the story a little bit. It's a little obvious. Um, mind you, by the way, also at this time, they're under S- SEC investigation or whatever the Canadian version of that is for fraud. I mean, th- there's certainly other stuff going on as well. Um, you know, it also, by the way, didn't help that they were a one product company. You know, Apple makes computers and phones and iPods at this time. You know, they're diversified. Uh, BlackBerry only made BlackBerry. <laughs> um, and so any any downturn was going to do them in. So there was a lot there was a lot of problems with this company. It certainly was not the iPhone that killed it. It just sped it up. When was the heyday of the BlackBerry? Like if you could point to a single year. Well, I think they say um, it in the book. I, I, what, where was the the ideal time where the where BlackBerry looked looked to be unbeatable? Was it two thousand nine, twenty ten? Well, the the iPhone was introduced in two thousand seven, so you're kind of in that like, and then the internet really exploded in ninety nine two thousand. So you're kind of spanning that time right in there. Um, Cell phones exploding as well in kind of that 03, 04, 05 span um, where uh, BlackBerry really, really led. Yeah, like they mentioned like President Obama used the BlackBerry and uh, they had all these other very famous politicians and celebrities alike that like were glued to it. It was a great product. Listen, when it worked, it worked. It you was, know? yeah, I mean, I th- I, that was the thing about it. I think it had this reputation for reliability and back when people really just used it mainly to check their email and respond, respond to emails. That was, I think the, the big, the big pull feature was you can be connected anywhere, um, for your, for your business. Then it, the, once, once things got to be more like, I guess the other features that, other phones could start, you know, doing like apps and games and BlackBerry very much doubled down on like, no, you could check your email. Like that was a really big thing uh, that they, they really insisted on, uh, on, on, on marketing. And like you said, they didn't really diversify. It wasn't a lot of diversification much. So, um, well, listen, here's the thing. You know why Google can just throw money at self-driving cars and drones and things that'll never make them money? It's because they have an advertising business that makes them a gazillion dollars every year. You know, you 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 got to make money to spend money on fun, interesting things. Remember when Google um, made a game and BlackBerry made a console? I listen. There is a very very. Like, I, that's right. The Google Stadia was a thing. That's right. They they got into the console game not for long, but I, it was they 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 did it. Like you said, I, I was on a. I was on a contractor's webpage the other day and there was a link to their Google plus page, which uh, doesn't go anywhere. Cause that product doesn't exist anymore. But I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. Google plus was a thing. Right. Yeah. Google so tried to get into social media for a bit. Uh, I think that we're both saying we enjoyed the book and would recommend. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Overall, I would say I'm going to give up looking for my notes now. Uh, Goodreads, <laughs> you can do better. Goodreads.com do better. Not um, do not make recommend. It, make it easier. Make it easier to find my damn notes that I took for this book. I, I I highlighted things. I took notes. I have no idea how to get to them. Your site sucks. I'm sorry. Um. All right. Yeah. Overall, uh, I would recommend it. I would recommend it to borrow. Um. 
And uh, I would say read it before you watch the movie. I still haven't watched the movie, but I think they're, they're good. It's a good it's a good um, pairing. Two great tastes that taste great together. Yeah. Who else was in the movie? Anybody that is uh, no one we're talking about? No one else really. Okay, it was a yeah, small independent really. movie. It was not. Yeah. yeah. So not not much else. Yep. But it's um it's definitely it's definitely good. Sean, what's our bonus? Uh, or what would you say? I don't. We got Matt. We went for the 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 three p. We did. Oh, yeah, I would absolutely rec- I'd recommend the book and the movie. I think That's they're. I, I think yeah. they're both good. I I would. I I I'm I bought it. I'm sure at some point I will reread it. Um, it was definitely compelling. I, honestly, Matt, I'm I'm going to just spoil it up front. I thought all three of these books were pretty good. Um, I I don't really have a complaint about any of them. Some were better than others, but I think they were all enjoyable reads. Which I think this may be the first summer we've done this where I've said that. Um, it was a couple of good picks, but Matt, we got to move on to our third book here, Built to Fail, the inside story of Blockbuster's inevitable bust by Alan Payne. Uh, this was a book uh, I had not read and you had not read, but had suggested that we uh, potentially check out. Um, written by Alan Payne, who was a uh, Blockbuster franchisee for a number of years, um, so had the the inside scoop. Matt, what did you uh, what did you think of this one? Um, this one, I over, my overall impression was I liked it. It was a little different from the, the, um, business history books that we tend to read, which are more of the, um, like, uh, telling, telling a story from like a more, either an outsider's perspective or like an embedded journalist perspective. This one was a, um, a person, like a, a person who had worked for Blockbuster, uh, for many, many years, uh, and who, uh, was, it, it kind of felt like in the beginning, he's like, you're, you're sitting in his house, like by, by the fireplace. And he's like, come on in. I'll, I'll tell you the story of how, like, basically like your car gets a flat tire. This is how I envisioned it, right? Your car gets a flat tire and you, you knock on the nearest person's house. Right. And this guy, the author of this book answers the door and he says, oh, I'll call you a, a, a tow. But in the meantime, while you're waiting for the tow truck to come, come on in, I'll sit by my fire and I'll tell you the story of how Blockbuster shot itself in the foot. And I know because I know all about it. And like I told them, I warned them this was going to happen. But but did they listen to me? Hell no, they didn't. So that was this this whole story was basically his. uh, I, I don't know if I'd call it a cautionary tale or a. Uh, just a story about how he knew he was right all along, but um, overall he had the inside scoop. He knew what was, what was going to happen. And um, his thesis is very interesting thesis. His whole thing is like, no, Netflix didn't ruin blockbuster. That's like the, the, the media spin. What ruined blockbuster was blockbuster. They, they ruined themselves. Uh, And, I don't know. I guess we can, we can, whether or not that's true is a matter of, we can debate. Um, I just, I, I think he made a very compelling case for it. Um, he's basically said that he, he lays out the premise that if Blockbuster had adapted itself to rather than rapid expansion, 
just like figuring out a better model for their stores, they would still be around today. Right. That was kind of the heart. Am I, am I yeah. I, yeah. And we just talked about it with Blackberry. I, I, I'm just a believer that uh, fads or changing culture or even changing technology is rarely the sole reason a company fails. It's just not. It's and you can look at any. Oh, malls are dying because of uh, of online shopping, right? It's an easy story. I don't think that's true. Retail is failing everywhere, mainly because they're all over leveraged with debt. Um, stores are stocking cheaper merchandise that people don't like. I mean, there's a lot of re- like, culture as a whole is more separated instead of coming together in community gathering places. I mean, you can look at any of these examples, and do I think? Blockbuster would still be in business in 2023 if they had done better. Probably not. I think the technology would have eventually caught up with them. But I think Alan makes a good point, which is they got a lot more life in them in the rentals. When they when Blockbuster went out of business, people were still renting DVDs. So forget streaming. Just Redbox was huge when Blockbuster went out of business. Now, mind you, Redbox right now, not doing as great. So fair enough, but I'm, I'm totally with you. I, this is just a classic example of retail misman. This is, they could be selling Legos or bread. It doesn't matter that it, they went out of business because they were just a badly managed business. Do you miss Blockbuster, Sean? You know, well, first of all, I, were you, a, did you go to Blockbuster as a kid? I did. I did. I went, I went, um, I wouldn't say all the time. I went. It was a. It was a treat. It was definitely a treat. Um, I do have very fond memories of my my local Blockbuster <laughs> and Plaza Video, which was was basically a uh, like a Blockbuster under another name. But the rental, I guess, the, I, I I very much miss the rental service as a whole. Even though it is, you know, kind of superfluous or outdated or. Not necessary. I miss the experience of it. I guess I miss the the permanence. You know, if you the commitment. I miss that. I miss that. Like kind of, if you nowadays, right? At the risk of sounding well old, older than I am, uh, if you want to watch a movie and you go on a streaming service, you start the movie. If you you can give up on that movie five minutes in and decide that you hate it because the opening scene was dumb or, or like this. You had something else in mind and you can theoretically, you can flip through hundreds of movies and not settle on any of them in a single night. Blockbuster world, you had money for maybe one, maybe two DVDs, three if you're very lucky, lucky, right? Or, or VHSs even. And uh, you were you were committed to those movies. You're on, on a Friday night. Those were the three movies that you rented those were the movies you're going to watch even if you even if you didn't like even if the first five minutes was was uh a a snooze fest you're still going to sit and and watch those movies because you you paid or you you committed to renting those movies and sometimes i think the best you know you you might watch one of your favorite movies of your lifetime because you committed to giving it more than five minutes of a chance today that's just, I mean, unless you're, unless you're, um, unless you're going to actually watch more than five minutes of a film that you're tuned out on 
or don't care as much, I feel like you're not going to have that experience. It was just something about going to a place and like talking to somebody and hearing their recommendations and, Oh, this is like, we, this is a new, a new one. This is great. Like I just watched it this weekend or have you, if you want, if you like that movie, you should check out his other stuff. Like, I feel like that it, it captures the human spirit more, more so than like any algorithm can. So there's a lot of reasons, but uh, blockbuster always had a, had a, had a fond place in my heart. I was very sad when it, uh, it eventually shuttered its doors. Um, I, I, don't yeah, think we, there's ever going to be a, a, a thing like it in the future because they just see the future is more driven toward streaming. Well, it, you know, I, it, I don't know if it's a good comparison, but record stores are still around. You know, I mean, I mean, there is. It's just that there's no advantage. Like I, it, anyway, the uh, uh, we did not have Blockbuster. We had Hollywood Video where I lived, and actually, we had an independent store in our very small town um, that had a naughty adult section. Uh, not that I ever got to go in it. Uh, but I agree with you, Matt. One of the worst things about the internet is discoverability. It's impossible to discover anything on the air. That's why I like going to bookstores. Is it, is it, do they have the biggest selection or the cheapest prices? No, but I can look at a shelf with a bunch of options and kind of browse around. And so absolutely it sucks that that's lost because you would discover things you wouldn't normally have, um, have seen. And I, they're trying to fix that with an algorithm. And I agree with you. It's just not the same. But I was also uh, a, back in the day, a subscriber to Netflix DVDs by mail. And that was an awesome experience. By the way, a service that just closed this year. Magic Blockbuster could have still been doing that in 2023. That was a great experience because it was the thrill of having your queue, the notification they shipped out. You weren't sure what you were going to get based on your queue, and you'd get a few of them in the mail, and it was easy. Um yeah, it's it it's I agree it's a missed opportunity, but it's just the technology was I, I it's one it's kind of like black like could BlackBerry have made a competing phone with the iPhone and absolutely boy I don't know if if, if video rental was ever long for this world I really don't I, I don't know if there's any again and that's what's interesting about the book is Blockbuster is already out of money and failing by the time they're given uh, lifelines whether it's the rental kiosk or streaming or DVDs by mail or, or any of these other options, they're already in trouble and they couldn't use any of those lifelines. That was Blockbuster's problem. Right. I think that was his kind of his case in point was that uh, by when Netflix came around, there were so many other options that Blockbuster had and they didn't, they didn't follow any of them. They, just kind of kept going with this old this old model and and uh they expanded very very fast um i think that was another argument he made in the book was that there was much more thought given to expansion of these stores than there was given to development of uh like internal development and then it was all kind of the same and that's the thing is it just you know in the business world you you fail to adapt then you're dead right you gotta you have to constantly be adapting and and uh and and shifting to where the demand is so blockbuster well, didn't really do listen that. the the thing is uh, expansion is hard when you have thousands of stores of any business 
keeping cons- I I got to give McDonald's a lot of credit because when you get a Big Mac in in Alabama, it's the same Big Mac you're getting in Washington, and that's damn impressive. Like that's not easy to do. And when you have the logistics of a blockbuster opening stores at a rapid rate, you're just setting yourself up for failure, uh, quite frankly, you know. Um, And that's unfortunately the story. I will say, Matt, you did mention the author. Uh, I am generally against the I told you so business books like I was there and they should have listened to me. Um, a good example, there was a book on uh, Circuit City I read. It was written by the son of the founder. And he was basically like, the company was great when my dad ran it. And then as soon as they got rid of him, they drove it into the ground. And I told them they shouldn't. Like, it was really annoying, actually. I didn't like it. This book walks that line, I think, pretty decently. He's not annoying about it. And it's not all about him. He kind of pops in at times. Uh, but it's not... It's not irrit- I didn't mind it, which I was surprised. I was really worried when I recommended this book. I was like, written by a guy who knew better. I don't know. But I actually think he did an okay job in this um, of of telling the story and pointing out a few things. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. I think he, he doesn't – he does, definitely doesn't uh, – he, he isn't as I, I told you so-ish. He's more just like, look – I was around and most, I think he was, it mostly seemed to me like he was irritated by the story that Netflix and streaming services killed Blockbuster. And he was kind of writing that, that wrong. He was kind of writing that truth. He was like saying like, actually, this is really what happened. It wasn't, it wasn't these streaming services. It was, it was this, all this other stuff that was going on internally that I saw firsthand uh, with my years at the company. I love that he kind of showed the alternate side, right? It was like the BlackBerry book being written by an Apple employee who said, while BlackBerry was doing that, we were doing this. Because he was kind of, a lot of the times he was like, while Black, uh, Blockbuster did X, at my stores we did Y. And here's why we did it and why it worked and didn't. And he didn't do it in sort of a we're better way. It was just sort of saying we experimented and it could have worked. Blockbuster didn't. Here's what happened. And I thought, boy, if you were writing, writing just a story on blockbuster like a, a a journalist had written just an overall story of it i think you would have really missed that angle because i think then you would have leaned more easily into that well it was inevitable instead of saying look here's a guy who was decently successful as a franchisee the model could have worked so i think actually the book was maybe a little better because he wrote it um and was able to add in that uh flavor and and flair uh, a good pairing that I want to also shout out because we did have in the, the previous book we talked about there was the pairing of the the film uh, Black Blackberry with the book losing the signal. Uh, I want to pair a film here. I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, 2020's The Last Blockbuster was a uh, a documentary style look at not only the very last blockbuster, which I believe is still in operation today in Bend, Oregon. Um, but it's, it's really a story about the history of blockbuster as a whole. I guess the only, the only downside is that the, the film does, doesn't really delve into, um, not that it's a downside because if you read the book, you really get both perspectives, but the film really attributes the myth, like really, I guess, um, backs up the myth that, uh, blockbuster was just kind of destined to be 
washed over by streaming services. And, but it, it also says that like ne- even Netflix reached out kind of a, 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 a hand and said like, you know, we, we could partner up or basically I think it was like kind of like a, like a buyout or something uh, and blockbuster mm-hmm. turned them down. So the movie, uh, the last blockbuster, what I like about it is it, it actually um, there's a uh, very famous, famous people that will come in and like offer their opinion about blockbuster. Uh, Kevin James is in it. Um, uh, Kevin Smith. I mean, I'm not Kevin James, Kevin Smith. Uh, uh, who else is in it? Quentin Tarantino did an interview for it. I think Tom Cruise, like they interviewed some, some pretty big names out there. Uh, uh, Jim Carrey, Tom Hanks, and they all kind of like give their, 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 uh, opinions about blockbuster and what it did for their careers and um their break the quentin quentin tarantino said it like blockbuster and movie rental places like that basically are what inspired him to become the director and same thing with uh kevin smith like um the idea of like a like an in-town like local uh video store um were very inspirational to them so it's it's a, it's a good it's worth watching. I, I I liked it. It was humorous at some parts. The last blockbuster, twenty twenty. There was a part where um one of my favorite parts was when as they were closing, the um Colbert Report I believe was still on the air, and they had acquired pieces from the set of Gladiator somehow, and they um ended up selling them to one of the this is when like there was only a handful of blockbusters left they ended up in a blockbuster in like alaska um so that was kind of cool um they they talk about that in the in the documentary uh i still i have a matter of fact i have a i have a be kind rewind uh poster in my in my basement so just as a as a tribute to to the the uh the good old days of, of blockbuster. That's how much of a fan I am. I don't know. Well, it's one of those just Matt, I was, uh, 90s that I miss. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, I was curious. So I decided to look it up and right now on eBay, you can purchase an actual ticket and program from the 2001 blockbuster entertainment awards. Really? Yes. Now available. Uh, by the way, who they have a, a schedule to appear in a, and a performance creed performed higher at the uh, 2001 awards 71 dollars is yours there's a lot of uh Could, fun is that the most early night early 2000s thing creed performing higher at the 2001 blockbuster awards yeah it's not ideal um the fact that there was a blockbuster awards at all um, but yeah, there's a lot of fun, uh, blockbuster memorabilia, uh, on eBay. So check that out. Yeah, Matt, I, uh, the full 2000 blockbuster awards are on, uh, YouTube. Listen, that, if you want to do a live commentary, that could be a hoot. I think this, this put that in the idea folder. Oh, am I, am I going to regret, uh, yeah, you probably will. You might regret mentioning it. Mm-hmm. That could be a that would make a fine live show for our our Patreons, and then we'll have the recording up up after. 
favorite group, rock, your nominees, Bon Jovi, Creed, Limp Biscuit, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Santana. Of course. Oh, listen to this. Favorite female new artist. This is great. Dido, Macy Gray, Mandy Moore, Pink, and Jessica Simpson. Yep. This is all, this all is tracks. wild stuff. That all tracks. But any uh w- w- how would you rate this book how would you uh i would recommend i i would also recommend it i would i would recommend it, it. Yeah. i i would go three for three this summer i would say read all of them yeah and and watch the the movies if you got time if yeah. you happen to pick three books that are all that all have companionate movies into this very season. true um we, we did good man we crushed it this summer we did good stuff even though we didn't oh. get a Murakami. This is our first summer, I think, without a Murakami reading. No, definitely. We did like two summers before we read, and then we read it. So, yes, there have been no, several. It's, it's our first summer without without a uh, like a whimsical Japanese author. Because we, we, we skipped a Murakami, and we read... Um, you read The Remains of the Day. No, we we never the talked remains. about it on the show. I, I got out of reading it. Right, right. It's still set on my bookshelf. I should get around to that. Um, well, Matt, I want to wrap up here because I know you have uh, this evening. You've got to go watch The Golden Bachelor. I sure do. It's it's the golden hour starting. And I, I watched I watched the first episode. I'm going to watch this season. You talked to me into it. Okay. Good. You and think? boy, what's what's his name? Gary. Gary. Yeah. The Golden Bachelor. I love that guy. He's great. I love that guy. I've never seen The Bachelor before. Uh, he's great. Mm-hmm. 72 years old he's a real he he's a he's a real goofball he is looks phenomenal a nice guy so who knows maybe on a future episode we'll do our uh bachelor update 71 year old gary turner a retired restaurateur who likes to play pickleball and go four-wheeling that's how they describe he's him. classic old person <laughs> it's great it's great. It's him. It's the old ladies. It's awesome. It's great. Yeah, Golden Bachelor. Uh, well, yeah. we'll we'll put a pin in it here uh, so we don't keep Katie waiting. Uh, folks, UpForDebate.tv is our website. You should go check out our past episodes, uh, including our whole summer of Harrison Ford. Uh, you can subscribe wherever you get podcasts with a video on YouTube. Uh, but we're going to wrap it up here. So on behalf of Matt, I'm Sean. We appreciate you being here. We're going to see you next time for another great episode of Up For Debate. This has been a Coffee and Beer production, executive produced by Matt Mariani and Sean Jennings. To learn more, visit coffeeandbeer.tv.